Hello. Hello. This is Joya Italiano. And this is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to No But That's a Thing. A podcast where we talk about the science ideas that are contained in sci-fi movies. Yeah, neither of us are experts in any of these things, but we care about them and we feel like we can make it interesting for you. So we Googled some stuff after watching a movie and here we go. Here we go. All right. All righty-roo. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the show, Lawnmower Man. Oh, lawnmower man! <laughs> God, it's—I hadn't seen this since I was a kid. Me either. And oh boy, what a fun time it was! Job Smith is the lawnmower man with the mind of a child. Yes, yeah, Cyberman, he came to see me. And the doctor. Virtual reality holds a key to the evolution of the human mind. With a vision of the future. I have a game in my house that you might like to play. Would you like that? Yeah. Okay. That was really bad. I have different games. I even have one that could help make you smarter. Now, ah! Job Smith is about to enter the world of virtual reality. Ah, it's gonna hit no, me! No, 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 Job, just relax. I just graduated to the next level, Job. <laughs> you realize, Dr. Angelo, that my intelligence has surpassed yours. The imaginary becomes real. Can you get inside my head, Job? You can't hide anything from me, Dr. Angelo. And reality. We have no idea what he's gonna do is all in your mind. There's a lot going on in this movie because there's two things. One is he's enhancing his brain with drugs, and then the other is they use a lot of VR. Right. And it's unclear how the VR is helping his brain be enhanced rather than just the drugs right. that he's taking. Exactly. But it is. I think, yeah, that makes me kind of wonder why they needed to combine those two. I think it's like, it's because it conflates the idea that spending time in VR could like enhance your brain with the actual drugs he's giving him. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's, to me, it's just like muddy in that way. The, the movie has nothing to do with the, the Stephen King short story. Oh, yeah. It's based on a Stephen King short story called The Lawnmower Man, which is about a lawnmower man who shows up at a guy's house mm-hmm. with like a lawnmower that he can control with his mind. Yeah. And then he like crawls naked behind it while it mows the lawn and then he eats the grass. Right. So he eats the grass. I've heard because th- I haven't read this, but I've heard that the grapevine that the guy has uh, grass for pubes. So it's grass for pubes? It's a lot. Yeah. I didn't read that. The, but the point being, there's no VR. There's no psychotropics. Yeah. It's the, just a guy. A lawnmower man shows up. And yeah. then the only scene that's from the short story is one of the guys gets killed by the lawnmower man with the lawnmower. Yeah. And it's like in this sci-fi movie, all of a sudden there's a scene that's straight out of a Stephen King thing. Yeah. And it feels very Stephen King. Right. Up until that point, you're kind of like, what's going on? So, okay. Do we know anything about when like Ritalin and Adderall first came on the market? I don't know about exactly when it came on the market, but I know it got big in the late 90s. Right. Because so this movie is what, 95? 92? Because remember, it's the same year as Terminator 2. And we were like, ah, how big budgets affect (laughs) your ability to do CG. I should also say, Stephen King sued to get his name taken off of this thing multiple times, and they kept leaving his name on it mm-hmm. and the, until it went to the court a third time, and they granted him $10,000 per day and all profits derived from the sales until his name was removed. But in the version that we watched on iTunes last week, his name is on the thing. So I don't know what the fuck is going on, but Stephen King, you should be getting 10000 a day right, right now. In this episode, I am talking about drugs like Ritalin or Adderall, and those are just amphetamines, right? You know, so it's just those things have existed for quite some time. But then it was it was like 80s, 90s when these kind of these prescription drugs were really like hitting the market and being Mm -hmm. marketed to people. And now, of course, it's kind of like an epidemic. But it does sort of make sense a little bit to me that at the same time that that virtual reality is first being explored. Also, these these kinds of neurotropics are coming out. I'm wondering mm. if maybe that's what was going on in these guys' minds. Because it really, it's like they're two separate things that they just combine. I'm not really quite yeah. sure why you needed the drugs in order to. Well, yeah, I wonder too because the script was originally called Cyber God, and then New Line Cinema was like, "Well, we have the rights to Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. Oh. If you throw, if you make the character a lawnmower man, then we can." Make more money off of it right, by calling it by his Stephen thing. Stephen King's so So it was oh. totally a different script called Cyber God, 
about uh, probably somebody who was being enhanced with VR. You were talking about telekinesis stuff and the history of that, because that's where this ends up going. (laughs) Is that the lawnmower man can do telekinesis, but he wants to spend all of his time in the cyber world. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the history of telekinesis. Basically, I got into a live science hole and now that's live science and it's an online publication but a lot awesome. of a lot of fun stuff in terms of telekinesis the history of it and so on and so forth so there's the the, the general you know psychic abilities that you think of are like pre precognition so like in minority report mm-hmm. right seeing future things before they happen pyrokinesis creating fire with the mind like in Stephen King's Firestarter, oh. right? Oh. Uh, telepathy describing things at a remote location being able to see things and then mm. of course telekinesis being able to move objects with your mind so telekinesis right it sounds pretty cool (laughs) Um, now that idea of being able to move something around with your mind has been around for centuries but it was in the late 1800s that it was first being referred to as being something that could be scientifically possible Mm -hmm. right so before it's just kind of like this mysticism or maybe it's more of a like religious kind of supernatural thing but now it's like oh no brainwaves like that it's possible for this Mm -hmm, to happen mm -hmm. so this kind of came about during the era of spiritualism which is you know the idea of psychic mediums being able to contact the dead during seances mm-hmm. and i think immediately to did you ever see the others with nicole kidman oh yeah it's like people came into it and she you know she's in fact the she ghost, turns out but, to be the ghost but yeah. i just like visually i think about that where it's it's in the that era where people are like oh s- tell us what you see yeah. psychic medium there's so little that's known yeah and then like during these periods that you know things would maybe like move or objects would move things would tip over this kind mm-hmm. of stuff so even to the point that sir arthur conan doyle the creator of sherlock was a big believer in telekinesis that that makes a lot of sense because if you think about the character of Sherlock Holmes, he's yeah. all about superhuman perception. Totally. So Arthur Conan Doyle, of course, he believed that it was possible to right. maybe get telekinesis going. Right, exactly. Well, and to the point where then there would be bamboozlers out there that would, there would be like accomplices all dressed in black or mm. they'd have string apparatuses that would yeah. like lift things to the point that Harry Houdini eventually investigated and exposed these fake mediums uh, in a book called Miracle Mongers and Their Methods. Mm-hmm. Just alliteration town, USA, oh, population Harry Houdini. I mean, double H, right? Um, so then because... <laughs> Not of- to be confused with triple H. The, yeah. Uh- <laughs> Double. I'm, <laughs> I'm more. I'm more of a double H fan. Triple yeah. H just kind of put it over the top. Preparation H even further, oh, right? Holy shit. <laughs> like, fuck. Between uh, you got one, two, and three H's. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. So then, this idea of telekinesis or spiritualism, mysticism, I guess, was then revived in the 1930s and 40s. There was a researcher at Duke University by the name of J. B. Ryan who was very interested in the idea that people could affect the outcome of random events using their minds. So he would test this using dice rolls Mm. and would basically ask subjects to influence the outcome through the power of their minds and you know it might be a surprise to know that there were mixed results yeah (laughs) (laughs) as a result of that but enough results or enough positive results that convinced him that there was something mysterious going on but then nobody else could recreate no one could recreate that because you're like you're just it's a fucking six-sided die what are we doing there was this guy who used to go on the tonight show and other tv shows in the 70s called yuri geller Mm -hmm. and he was doing tricks, magic tricks, but he claimed that he had real psychic powers and people like Merv Griffin would just eat it up Mm -hmm. and they totally bought that this was really happening. And there was a guy who was kind of like his antithesis, this guy, James Randi, who Mm -hmm. actually executive produced the show Bullshit on Showtime, the Penn and Teller show. And his whole vendetta is, he's kind of today's Houdini. He himself is a magician and he feels that any magician who's pulling a trick but doesn't tell you he's pulling a trick and is telling you this shit's real is like they need to be exposed. So in the 70s, he used to go on sometimes secretly. They would have him backstage when Yuri Geller was going to go on a show and he would come out and debunk it live. Oh, I love it. And what ended up happening was he used to sometimes just get a random phone call in his home and it would be he would just pick it up and he would hear a click. Oh. And he would know, wait a minute. And he'd go over and turn on the TV and Yuri Geller would be doing a performance on the Today Show or something. And they and would just was, know that he wasn't there. They made sure that he wasn't there. Oh, my God. Well, okay, so 
this yeah this Yuri Geller guy oh gosh Claimed just think of the seventies man yeah like bending bending spoons with his with his mind uh, being able to start broken watches what have you so and like you said it's not just that he's doing magic it's that he's denying that it's magic right he's I saying think it's real there's a lot of parallels with today right of mm-hmm. just what is optical illusion and what is reality and it's it is the duty of a magician to be able to say like yeah my sleight of hand is pretty fucking solid mm-hmm. but this is not a real thing that's so, the real trick is telling you that you're about to see a trick and still blowing your mind exactly but not making not like gaslighting you and making you feel like a crazy person then it's entertainment and not predator behavior exactly so then in 1976 several children who claimed to be able to bend spoons with their minds were tested in a controlled experiment at the University of Bath in England Mm -hmm. and it was at first it was kind of like oh maybe this guy's onto something but then they had hidden fucking cameras and the kids when no one was looking were physically Mm -hmm. bending the spoons yeah but then if you think about like if we really are in the Matrix, then there is no spoon. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Well, you're talking about no living in a simulation, right? Later well, on. yeah. Well, I'm going to get into the Whoa. idea that we're all living just in a simulation in a little bit. It's, but I, I wanted to say connected. one more thing about James Randi, mm-hmm. because, he, by the way, he has a movie that came out recently called An Honest Liar, which <laughs> oh, I, I highly recommend. So yeah, good. It's so good. And he used to get like great, brilliant trick comedians to go in and be a part of the test subjects for scientists that were trying to prove whether or not telekinesis was real and so they would go in and try to convince the scientists that this stuff was real and that was the whole idea and they did it and these scientists came out and were like it this shit's real this is happening and then they came out and said we tricked you your your we tried to show that your methods were fundamentally flawed and none of that stuff was real wow that's amazing and some of those kids that went and did that they were like feeling really bad before the end of it about like what they were convincing these scientists of. Right. Clearly seeing is not necessarily believing when it mm-hmm. comes when it comes to this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So even after Yuri Geller was exposed, then in the mid 80s there were parties, they were called PK parties, which is psychokinesis. Yeah, psychokinesis exactly. So these psychokinesis parties where believers would become emotionally and physically worked up and they would be like shouting and jumping around while trying to bend these spoons. Mm-hmm. And of course many times it would work, but then you think about like it, it doesn't take that much to bend a spoon. And if you're jumping around being like, like shaking the spoons yeah, as hard as you can, violently jumping up and <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah. Like if anything was slightly changed or like, yeah. I mean, like who knows what you're doing with your hand. If you're gripping like a fucking crazy person mm-hmm. anyway. So I'm thinking well, that's about, like how it was done. Basically right. was that you surreptitiously bent it in a moment that where the audience wasn't looking. Then you went back and you were like, look at me doing right. it in the exact same way as you're like, Look at this card over here. Oh, is it there? The coin's gone. Blue, mm-hmm. blue, blue. Like this, this is all sleight of hand. It's optical illusion. Misdirection. But then you, th- yeah, misdirection. And then, okay, so that's the '80s. But then I'm even thinking about like, do you remember when fucking John Edwards was all over the place, the psychic medium who's talking and who Not like the politician, t- the psychic fuck up. Right, yeah. right. And I would watch that show too, and I was like, what is happening here? Yeah. Now I think what's extra like nefarious about it is the idea that you're like really pulling on people's heartstrings, mm-hmm. and if people are really led to believe that you can communicate with a loved one who's dead and you're like exploiting that desire to communicate and asking kind of like general questions like it all seems so fucked up well my understanding i've heard about john edwards too it was that you had to sign an nda before going to see his show really because if there was any of the raw footage that got out he looked like a tool but right. then they would edit it so that he would be like i'm i'm looking for the letter m m is around here and right. then like he would move on to like five other letters before he landed on something and then they would edit out all the other mistakes totally. and you're able to kind of like explain it away with any number of reasons people of like people edit out those yeah. mistakes in their own brains totally when they're at the show they mm-hmm. only hear the part whether he was right and forget about all the things that he was wrong right so that to me is the you know drive by shooting history of mm-hmm. telekinesis and you know all of this kind of like weird psychic ability shit now you might ask is there a biological basis for telekinesis <laughs> yeah remember this idea that i kind of accepted my entire life up until reading about it mm-hmm. that you only use 10 percent of your brain this is a big myth this is a big fucking myth that i had no idea about because i just like who's the schmo who thought about this initially well they think that they can trace it back to this psychologist and author william james who argued in a thing called the energies of men that we're making use of only a small part of our possible mental and physical resources another thing was apparently einstein used to use that to explain his towering intellect which I think was more a joke. I well, I sure hope so. Then you know, I was I, like, I was about to just say fuck Einstein, and <laughs> yeah, I'm I not know. comfortable with that. 
But hey, fuck that Einstein guy. <laughs> but no, because right. the truth is we use virtually every part of the brain and most of the brain is active almost all the time. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, put it this way, the brain represents 3% of the body's weight and uses 20% of the body's energy. Right. Well, or you think about, okay, now some like the ways that they find out whether or not your brain is all of it is being used just through like MRIs, yeah, ET yeah. scans. So it's like they can actually see it being used. Mm-hmm. But I thought this was a great analogy. Unless you're fucking like cross country skiing, you don't use every muscle in your body all at the same time. But throughout yeah. an entire day's activities, you're most likely going to be using mm-hmm. every bit of your body, all of the muscles in your body rather. So it's the same kind of idea with your brain. You might not, it might, might not be firing on all cylinders with every bit of activity, right. but everything you do in a day is pre- is going to access a different part of your brain. Right. So by the end of the day, hopefully, unless you've literally been doing nothing, you'll, you'll probably use all of it. I think there's a difference or maybe one of the ways that it got so conflated that you're not using all of your ability is perhaps you think about being ignorant of something until you're not ignorant. Mm-hmm. But that is education. That's not ex- like opening a, up a new part of your right. brain. I think right? this is just a case of like so many other things that we believe in the world is... We want it to be true, so we believe it to be true. Sure. Like, how cool would it be if we only used 10% of our brains and actually had all this untapped capability? Yes. We want that to be true, Mm -hmm. even though it's not. And another thing is that even if we could use brainwaves to affect things that were outside of our head, they only go, brainwaves only go a couple of millimeters outside of your head. Exactly. Well, well, yeah, because that's the other thing. So not only... Is it just ridiculous to think that somehow we have 90% of our right. brain that we're not even accessing at all, but just like the physical, like the the physics aspect of it, right? Like, right. okay, let's say that you were allowed to move things with your brain, like your mm. brain was that strong, exactly like you said. Like there's no physical mechanism <laughs> by which you would be able to move another object. Right, without- like something, ha- like some physical energy has to go from your brain to the object in order to use it. Yeah. But I don't know. It's like we know that some people are smarter than others. We know that some people's mm-hmm. brains have evolved in a perhaps more complex way. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is not true that someone can move something with their mind. No. And then I just thinking about it more and more, like why would we have evolved to have 90% of our brain that we didn't use? Yeah. Like evolution wouldn't select for telekinesis? Yeah. Like why would that – that would be – as soon as that mutation happened – But, I mean, I guess, again, with the with the idea like – well, the more technology allows us to become almost like bionic people, mm-hmm. I guess that's the idea of like, well, where would this go? If like you're already really smart and like the capabilities of human beings when they do use their fucking brain mm-hmm. is pretty incredible. So what's even more incredible than what we can already do? We're super into it still, fucking X-Men. Yeah. If you think that we only use 10% of the brain, no, but that's not, not a, thing. a thing. And you're a total bozo. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Science. <laughs> wanted to talk a little bit about the idea that we're living in a computer simulation that is being run on a higher level computer mm. that's running the entire universe. And Neil deGrasse Tyson puts the odds at 50-50 that wow. our entire existence is a program on somebody else's hard drive. Now, a popular argument for it came from the University of Oxford, this guy Nick Bostrom in 2003, when he suggested that members of an advanced civilization with enormous computing power might decide to run simulations of their ancestors. I see. So the idea is that there's some future version of humanity that's like running a simulation of us, an older version of them, so that they can go and see what it is. Now, at the end of the day, when you talk about this whole concept, it doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Because it doesn't change anything about how you can live. We can never step outside of this matrix. So at the end of the day, we've just got to use our own... Yeah. We got to live our lives the way we live yeah, our lives. Yeah, whether it's true or not, we, you still have to just get through it. <laughs> but, but I really liked that this guy said, maybe we're in a simulation, maybe we're not. But if we are, hey, it's not so bad. My advice is to go out and do really interesting things so that the simulators don't shut you down. Right. Well, I mean, I guess it's the same case as with anything. Like, whether or not God is true, is real, mm-hmm. doesn't shouldn't really change how you live your life uh, mm. or or it shouldn't be the reason that you're like a good person right right exactly it shouldn't change like because we happen to live in a simulation shouldn't change how you yeah wanna, it doesn't change that like right. you affect others and your decisions matter yeah <laughs> and to me you know as you're talking my my impulse how i'm feeling inside is like 
all of that's bullshit. But then it's right. like, Joy, you have no evidence. Like, don't argue. Don't get righteously mm-hmm. angry about it. Just, like, decide <laughs> how you feel about it. One of the arguments is that, like, because the universe is based on all these mathematics, the same way that a computer simulation that we would run is, that's, like, more evidence that we are in a... But then why would you think that the universe wouldn't be ruled by mathematics? Right. So I don't know, like, the idea that it's very likely to be able to create an entire simulation in the future and that then meaning that we're likely already in one. Mm-hmm. Even if we are in a simulation, it doesn't mean that you that your choices don't matter or yeah. that like things aren't important to people. Yeah. <laughs> like, or, you know, it's like when we had the conversation about karma or past lives and whether or not any mm-hmm. of that is real, it's like whether or not it fucking is doesn't matter. Like you sh- In my opinion, I'm going to live my life as though I have one. Yeah. And I'm not going to use my quote unquote past life as a reason to like atone for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just mm-hmm. so strange. And it sounds to me like more reason for people to not just like live presently. Yeah, I, I was having a conversation recently with a friend about whether free will is real. And I was like, whether or not everything's predetermined by the Big Bang it doesn't change the fact that you effectively have free will. And so who cares whether or not free will is real or imagined? Or who gave it to us or where it came from. It's like, it's all an excuse to basically say, well, I'm here and my life is the way that it is, not because of choices I've made, Mm -hmm. but because that's what was always going to happen. It's preordained. It it doesn't change the fact that you do have control over your own actions. Absolutely. Like, exactly. And I'm glad you said actions because it's like, you don't necessarily have control over your life, but you have control over your fucking actions. Exactly. A kind of like ancillary idea to this that I just find interesting. (laughs) Neil Tyson said, we don't think of ourselves as deities when we program Mario, even though we have a power over how high Mario jumps. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason to think that whatever this upper civilization is, is all powerful just because they control everything we do. Right. And I always had this idea that (laughs) as an explanation for why like a few thousand years ago, it seemed like God was always like, meddling with the affairs of man like in the bible times and Mm -hmm. stuff my idea is that we are all in a computer simulation that was in some dude's garage and he died and he's been at the computer just dead and they haven't found his body yet and we've just been running without his meddling right for the last few thousand years i mean i don't know it's just as and i just well i just imagine right now they're like okay so like what are we gonna do with this weird computer he had in the garage yeah and it's like our entire universe is running on it and they're like what is this running i guess let's just uh, just plug it put it in storage yeah (laughs) just unplug it we just all disappear put in sleep mode Anyway, so Job was able to become smarter, not only doing the the VR work, but also with these psychotropics, okay? So first of all, psychotropic is just any kind of substance or whatever that affects your mental activity, behavior, perception. It's a mood-altering drug, let's say. Then there's neurotropics, because they keep throwing those words around throughout the movie. They're just like, neurotropic, psychotropic. Mm -hmm. Neurotropic is, again, the same thing. It could be a toxin, it could be a chemical or whatever, but specifically affects the nervous system. Ah. Wait, what's the difference between a psychotropic Um, and a neurotropic? I think they're the same. I think they're like... Okay. Different words for the same thing. Yeah, exactly. But the reason I had to like look into it is because they they were just <laughs> throwing words around, <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah. let me see what these are about. Anyway, so basically, I was like, oh, smart pills. That's what this this guy's basically. I'm. I think it's in liquid form, but that's essentially what this is. He's been he's given smart pills. Smart what water. Is, uh, it's yeah, smart, smart water. It's smart water. <laughs> so what are smart pills or smart water? These days, what, what what can you think of? Now, my brain goes to, you know, when we were when I was at Sarah Lawrence, it would be like it would be like conference week and everybody right. had been putting off all of their work. And then they would end up just taking Ritalin or Adderall yeah. and staying up in the, in the computer room for like two days straight. It was real <laughs> unhealthy shit. Right. So what Ritalin and Adderall do is they just change the balance of neurotransmitters in the brain. So they affect how brain controls impulses and attention. That's why you're able to just focus on stuff that you know, people with attention deficit disorder, which is it's it's argued about whether or not it's a real thing. Oh, it's a, I think it's a real thing. Yeah. It's just not. It, it was so overprescribed and overdiagnosed right. that like there's the actual people who have ADD, mm-hmm. and you've known those people throughout your life, and you've mm-hmm. been like, oh, that person, that's a real ADD. And then there was me that got diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah, and you're just creative. And I, well, I, I would like to think so, yeah. but um, <laughs> like it, it was definitely a situation of like I was in high school, I was wanting to do stand up comedy. I started doing that 
I was a jerk. Yeah. And they were like, this kid's got, needs to be on drugs. I think you're absolutely right. Because, yeah, I know plenty of people where it's like, it's actually a problem. Like, they really can't. Yeah, it's debilitating, it's, right? It's really out there. Mm-hmm. Like, there are just some people whose brains operate differently. We've yeah. learned in the institutionalization of our schools and everything, like, not all kids are fucking created equal mm-hmm. in terms of their, their brain, like, how they you communicate to them. Mm-hmm. So instead of, like, finding different ways of teaching kids, then it's just like, uh, we want you to sit in quiet. So, yeah, there's been plenty of commentary about, like, the, the drugging of the youth of America or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I've taken Adderall once. Mm-hmm. And granted, I think it, it wasn't, it was just like a regular normal dosed pill. And mm-hmm. I had to like run around the block five times. Yeah, I cleaned like... the entire house. <laughs> I played like, it felt really fucked up to the point where I was like, this is speed. Like that's what yeah. this is, which it is. It's a fucking amphetamine. Well, cause the thing is, in people who don't have ADD, it affects mm-hmm. them completely differently, which exactly. is why people get manic on it. Right. Well, and be so cool. So this was what was interesting. This is, again, based on commentary from Live Science, but they, they were commenting on an article that had been printed in the publication Nature magazine mm-hmm. in 2008. And it was like commentary compiled from six different scientists that were basically advocating for healthy adults using Ritalin and Adderall. The response article was pretty scathing to it, but I was like, whoa, 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 what are these scientists saying? Now, of course, this was 2008. Since then, there's been more research done into what the long-term effects are, but still, we don't have like long, long-term studies in terms of what these drugs do right. to, to your brain. Right. But what they were saying is in this, this commentary that it is, quote-unquote, morally equivalent and no more unnatural than diet, sleep, or the use of computers in terms of, you know, get basically giving your brain an upper edge. They mm. claim that it isn't cheating. Cheating is based on what the rules are, whereas with this, there are no rules. That, it, that it's fair because hiring a tutor isn't outlawed for being unfair to those who can't afford it. That it isn't unnatural because humans with computers and antibiotics have been shaping what's likely what's natural for millennia. And that it isn't drug abuse anymore than taking a multivitamin is. I mean, you're saying it like that, but part of me agrees with that. Well, I think, but that, but there, there have been a lot of information as to what the side effects are for people that don't have attention deficit right, disorder. Right. So that's what I'm saying is like yeah, they're not advocating yeah, okay. it for people who have ADD. Right. Right. They're right, advocating right. for people who don't. Right. And so and what, they're basically just saying like it's like a cup of coffee. Yes. Like exactly. why isn't all coffee outlawed if you're going right. to be awake? Well, and that's kind of the idea is it's like yeah. you because all it does it's a stimulant, right? So all mm-hmm. it does is it keeps you more alert and able to focus. And that's all coffee is too. Exactly. So you get the same result by taking like a double shot of espresso mm-hmm. than taking these drugs that have do have adverse effects right right and so that's that's kind of what this coming back at it was from the, mm-hmm. the live science perspective so adderall raises blood pressure and heart rate it can lead to a slew of serious heart problems blood pressure problems they can be addictive mm-hmm. obviously i think that to me is like the biggest thing because mm-hmm. we do a lot of shit that that fucks with our blood pressure and you know the way we digest stuff but yeah. that the addiction aspect i'm like i no longer need to be convinced about the, but, the addictive quality to continue to go back to coffee mm-hmm. coffee caffeine is the number one addiction of america i know but but i feel like there's been conflicting reports in terms of what long-term caffeine addiction does. I mean, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it doesn't seem like it's that bad for people. Right, and I guess that's all I'm saying is it's like we're comparing and contrasting, but, like, I don't believe that caffeine is as addictive as Adderall. Do, what, I, and I don't have facts to back it up, but I'm just thinking about, like... If I don't have like, a cup of coffee, I have a headache. Right. You know, I mean, people, but I think I mean, that's but, common. Right. And so that, that idea, cause I'm the same way, like mm-hmm. I got to have my fix, but mm-hmm. there's a difference between just having a headache and being like, I'm shaking and going nuts. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> there's um, type of withdrawals that yeah. can kill you. Right. And I don't think caffeine can do that. And that's what I'm that. saying is like, and I think in general, when we have more of these long-term mm-hmm. studies, we'll be able to like say yeah. things more definitively. But then well, you think about like when you combine this shit with like alcohol, for example, I knew plenty of people, I know mm-hmm. plenty of people that do Adderall and they drink. Yeah. Then there's also this this trend of combining immediate release Adderall which which lasts for about three hours Mm -hmm. and then the extended release which lasts for seven hours so that they can stay up throughout you know college students that are like oh I've got a cramp so it's that thing to me too it's not just like whether or not it's morally equivalent it's this idea that like what is that pressure that like you have to basically take speed in order to get through school I, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a whole other element of culture right. that... <laughs> but I just I just thought it was a really interesting conversation because I, mm-hmm. like you, I, I agree. I'm like, well, yeah, we do already a lot of stuff that is using technology to our advantage and it's not exactly natural. Yeah, well, I don't know about, like, how much Ritalin and things like that are being prescribed today, 
because I think that there was a pullback after mm-hmm. the overdiagnosis of the world yeah. in, when we were about in high school. Right. But kind of crazy, like, there was a drug in the 70s that was used as a diet pill mm-hmm. called Dexedrin. Mm-hmm. And in was the, it just straight up speed? It, or? I don't actually know what it's. Uh, oh, it okay. was, you know, it was something that suppressed appetite. Right. And in the 90s for a minute, they were using it to as like an alternative to Ritalin. Uh-huh. And so I spent two weeks where I was on Dexedrin and I like lost a ton of weight and started being irritable. And it was like a huge right. problem. And we were like, get him off of that stuff. Yeah, totally. It, it was just like a misdiagnosis. And then when I was in high school, this other drug came out that was like no side effects kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but still very much like Ritalin and stuff like that. And that was a lot better. But but Dexedrin, right. I mean, it fucked me up. Well, I think that's why I was well, in eighth so, grade, you right. know, like, I mean, that was well, pretty young. Misdiagnosis and overprescribing, I think, is huge. Mm-hmm. I think what's uh, at least the focus now is less on that and more that it is a recreational thing now. Yeah. Which I, I guess that's just what raised. I mean, I don't know. It's well, it's not it's really about- not a moral question. But I also think about like the more we learn about stuff like, OK, prime example, my mom was a model in the 70s. Their diet mm. pills was fucking speed. Right. It was speed. Right. You know, and that's all the that's essentially what these things are. You know, right. then you think of like the opioid epidemic or whatever. It's just sort of like I wish that more people knew mm-hmm. because you think about parents that were like, oh, I really want my kid to do better. I hope that's right. OK. And then but then their kids all fucked up. Just like you got fucked up. It's like, well, Ugh. I was thinking that because it definitely comes from a place of the parents wanting the best for their kids Mm -hmm. and using the best knowledge that they have of the day Mm -hmm. and it goes back to that thing of like we often don't know what we're doing as much as we think we do Mm -hmm. and we got to be a little bit careful especially when it comes to people who are still developing like kids there's a lot at play there's a lot of people that make a lot of money by either prescribing things and so i think it muddies the water between what is like really great advancement of medicine and what is just really causing harm to people mm-hmm. as a means as a profit motive. Well, we've been talking about how Ritalin was being pushed in the late 90s, but mm-hmm. the late 90s was exactly the same time as OxyContin was coming yeah. out and becoming pushed and, look and where we are now. Exactly. It's just it's it's bizarre. It's so interesting. And then it, it kind of raised a similar question as we had in the Gattaca episode mm-hmm. in terms of like if we're able to let's say find a drug that makes you smarter in the way you want it to be, not just like concentration but actually makes your brain right. get smarter. Is that like how do, how do you monetize that? Who gets them? Is it, the, is it it's the class? You know, it's it's all of these things that it just raises all of these different questions of like yeah. who's gonna have access to that kind of stuff. Well, I think you know at first it will be the elite with mm-hmm. money, and then eventually with things like that they do get commoditized. Mm-hmm. And while there was a time where not everybody could afford a car or not everybody mm-hmm. could afford a TV, that's you know, it, there are still people who can't afford either of those things. There will always be people who can't afford the things that most people can. Right. But I think that things like enhancing our brains will become commoditized. Mm-hmm. But then you start thinking about, well, okay, so we can enhance our brains. What if we could enhance our dog's brain mm-hmm. and our dog can communicate with us? Right. How does that change our relationship with our pets? How does that change how we need to treat things? Could we bring everything up to the same level? That's why it's so interesting when you combine like the existence of science and technology with like the ideology and the you know the moral questions of Mm -hmm. it. Then you add like the the money that it takes to even do all of these. Like it's I wish we could talk about just things like oh and these exist and that's a thing now. It's like but there's going to be people that are going to try to find a way to totally like monopolize Mm -hmm. the system Mm -hmm. in this way. I keep coming back to like EpiPen where it's like this should be fucking cheap as shit. I know, but they're able to control those prices and price gouge. So yeah. I agree with you, but it's, you know, it's, again, it's like, do you want, this was one of the other questions that the live, uh, live science, live science, live science, I don't know. There's, you could say it either I way. I figure it's live. Live science. Like this particular author, one of his big things was, okay, so even if this was a thing that you could just make yourself smarter, like, is that how you want your doctor to have gotten his license by taking speed and doing X, Y, or Z? And I'm like, eh, I don't know if it needs to... I don't know. I really don't well, know how to answer that question. that's the thing. If he's a smarter doctor, then why do I care? Yeah. And this actually goes to this whole concept of like, should we allow people to enhance their bodies for the Olympics? Mm-hmm. And that can lead to a lot of dangerous things. But I kind of like the idea, it would be amazing if we had two separate Olympics. Mm-hmm. There was one for natural human mm-hmm. ability and one for enhanced human ability. Yeah, maybe you're right. Because like, all I want is the fucking transparency. Right. I really don't care if my doctor, you know, took some smart pills. But it's like, right. at least I'm going to be like, hey, fuckface, you bought your way to the top. Like, yeah, it's like, right. It's like, you didn't earn this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that's sort of what what... My biggest issue is even with like enhancing your body, Mm -hmm. I'm like, 
you know, instead of us getting into this, like, is her butt real? Right. Is it not? Are those implants? But, it's but like, just fucking be open with it and be like, the and are they great? element that yeah. we don't have control over anyway. Right. So it's like, so many times when somebody's like, oh, you're such a pretty person yeah. or you're such a handsome guy. Yeah, congratulations. It's like, your, your mom you had a big were butt. born. Yeah. I guess the only people I can say I, I don't agree with that with are like, bodybuilders it's like if you right. took the time to do that that's fine well, that's the thing is that when it comes to the olympics it's a combination of the two right it's somebody who is genetically predisposed to doing this who then spent their entire life Training. every day yeah. 16 hours a day right. you know figure skating i guess you know like the bigger question too is like how will it change our values like what mm -hmm. it ultimately we value in a person because right. when you think about the things that you know you like people that are uh, like attractive and smart and x y or z mm -hmm. like well if that's more and more easily attainable Right. through some synthetic bullshit, then maybe we'll actually start thinking about different things or yeah. value different things. Or I don't know what the debate was as they went into the Olympics that had Oscar Pistorius. Mm -hmm. with oh, the, yeah, sure. The fake legs. Yeah. And I mean, forgetting everything that happened with him after that. Right. <laughs> you have to. Um, <laughs> just talking about the idea of him competing in the Olympics. I don't know about what kind of discussions were had, but I'm sure that people thought pretty deeply about whether he should be allowed to, right. to get in there. Oh, man, I hadn't even thought about that. Because it's like you look at him as being such a, like, hero. Right, but right? it's like he's got fake legs. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's not... I don't remember how I was yeah. bitching about, like, someone being able to, like, basically become Doc Ock. And, like... Right. And I was like, but you were paralyzed, and now you get to walk better than me. Like, that's my whole thing. I'm like, let's just... Let's get everybody on the same plane. <laughs> yeah. and well, then... now you're getting Harrison Bergeron. I know. Do you remember that short story? No, what was that? That was oh, from, wait. like... Uh, read it in like middle school or something. It's basically the uh, it, it's a dystopian future where oh sweet they're doing road work out sweet there. Sweet drilling, ah whatever. Well, people will hear some drilling. Yeah. It basically takes place in a world where everybody has to be as dumb as the dumbest person. Ah. And so there's like his wife is like a ballet dancer, mm -hmm. and she they keep like shocking her in the middle of her ballet performance to make her a dummy to make her as good as the worst person. Right. So that's not so it. It's, I mean, well, because it's an intention of getting everybody onto the same level. And like, why should we allow somebody to be better than somebody else? Right. Well, I mean, it's like the like the complaints about communism and all of this shit, mm -hmm. too. It's like, yeah, I yeah. get the idea that like, you know, competition leads to progress. So it, which is why I feel like it's less of me thinking that everybody needs to be on the same plane. And we just need to fucking value things in a different way. Like, I, I wouldn't mind someone being better or different than another person if one person wasn't valued extremely more than than the other person right. does that make sense yeah um i know i didn't say it as as well as well, i no, could because it's kind of like value is such a subjective thing yeah it's like i think that somebody can have value in different in a different way than somebody else right that's what i mean yeah, yeah. But, but what i'm saying is like in, in this society as a whole, mm -hmm. you have these still kind of like very superficial things that, that we value. We seem to value right. more than everything else. Yeah. We still, as much as we are saying that we want to value like what's inside. Mm -hmm. um, it really, like a lot of it is. It. Well, at least we're saying it. That's least, the first step. At least deep down inside, we want that to be true. Right. But, you know, until it actually is true, there's always going to be that. We're it until we make it. Yeah. As far as. <laughs> Totally. You know I mean? But I mean, I think until we truly demonstrate that aesthetic beauty or whatever isn't, I'm using that as the primary it's example. It's a good, you know, basis um, point. Just because it's so, like, the, the everyone bitches about, like, Kardashian culture. It's yeah. like, the, as long as we continue to value butts over, mm. you know, accomplishments. <laughs> Well, we, we seem to value nuts quite a, <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, yeah, until it's it's demonstrably true that we value things that are not just, like, bought and paid for, right? right? right. Then, then I'm probably going to feel this way. Let's talk a little bit about computer animation okay. and the history of it, because some of the CG in this movie is horrible. Oh, God. It is amazing so to go back and see because they definitely overextended themselves in back in the day. Mm -hmm. Never mind. Like you brought up Terminator 2 and yeah, they had a way bigger budget, but he also chose to only represent things in CG that CG could effectively represent. Exactly. It's the reason that Toy Story was goo. the first movie was that like it already looks like plastic, mm -hmm. the CG right. of the day. And so you could make a toy look realistic with the CG capabilities Wow, the that's time. a really good point. Yeah, because the only CG mm -hmm. used in Terminator 2 is when he's a pile of goo. It, and when he steps out of the fire as pure metal. Right, and that's so what that, I mean. Like, but yeah. he'd been fucking around with that mm -hmm. technology for a long time. In, Definitely. In, what was it, Abyss or something? The Abyss doing? was, yeah, yeah. He, it was one of the earlier examples of his CG yeah. where it's like this weird water monster and it could kind of, like, the way it worked worked for the movie mm -hmm. and kind of holds up pretty well to today 
But in Lawnmower Man, <laughs> they oh. go a little crazy. And, you know, I mean, there's like a sex scene in the virtual world oh, where they yeah. like are like this weird dragonfly thing and uh-huh. they start fucking and then they become one. And it's it so bad. Yeah. That that's aside. A really, that's a really good point, though. I hadn't thought about that of like mm-hmm. really just staying within the structure of what's possible. Exactly. Because, I mean, there's plenty of reasons why Terminator 2 is one of the best movies of absolutely, all time. But absolutely. But that is one of the things where like you don't get so mm-hmm. horribly taken out of it when you see that CG. It still could stand. So the first instance of a computer animated short film was made by Ed Catmull, who's mm-hmm. the president of Pixar and the reason that Pixar has been so great for all these years. Cool. And he, by the way, has a book called Creativity, Inc., which I recommend as the number one book for anybody ever to read. <laughs> like, wow. I cannot say high enough things about this book. Okay. It's about how to creative, how to manage creative teams and keep doing the best work that you can. Mm-hmm. And it's got more wisdom in it than I even know how to describe. Cool. But he invented a computer program and then animated his own hand in it to create the first computer animated short film, which was called A Computer Animated Hand. Mm. and it was his hand and the way he did it was he put a bunch of like little dots all over his hand and made triangles and polygons between those dots okay and so he was able to recreate the complete hand using uh, 350 little triangles wow okay and so if you place those triangles in the right way on the right surface it can start to form a hand and that's what graphics is Mm -hmm. is how many triangles or polygons you can fit on screen at once the more polygons you can use the more realistic it is Mm -hmm. and it gets to a point where theoretically we could have computers that are computing down to the atom size and then you would be able to literally look at the world and it would operate the same way as a virtual world which is getting back to us living in a simulation wow that's crazy well it's funny that you were saying that he put a bunch of dots on his hand Mm -hmm. because one of the things that is it the VR in Lawn Mowerman where he turns into a fu- bunch of fucking Dippin' Dots? Oh, yeah. No, no. He, like, has a telekinesis ability to turn people into Dippin' Dots. Oh, right. Because yeah, that, that like, was my the way note. He I was kills like, people is like, I was like, Lawn Mower Man turns you into a bunch of Dippin' Dots. That was my <laughs> note. But then I realized that's what he did, right? But again, that was like, no, that was, it was the CG that was so just like, oh, okay, yeah, just it looked, gin, turned into a bunch of Dippin' Dots. Yeah, it was like he kept, like, dematerializing right. people. But. but, okay, so when you think about, like, what is it when, like, in Avatar, when they got the dots all over their the that's actors performance that's capture. performance capture yeah is that similar the similar, similar technology yeah. but like taken to a much higher degree right but i mean like is that the evolution that of is, what this guy is doing i mean pretty much he yeah. invented that wow like, okay cool and so in the, in the computer hand had 350 polygons mm-hmm. your average ps4 game of today has millions and millions wow of those. that's crazy and it's getting more and more and more to the point where things are going to start looking more and more photoreal. Yeah. And some of the latest Pixar stuff, landscapes especially, things that are a little bit easier to do, uh-huh. look real. fully real. Yeah. Actually, just as a side piece of information. Side note, sure. Side note is fine. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> that image, that short film, A Computer Animated Hand, was the first computer animated image in any movie and it was used in the movie Future World, which was the sequel to the original Westworld. No way. There's mm-hmm. an original Westworld? Oh, in the 70s. It's Michael Crichton's first. It was oh his directorial God. debut. I didn't even know that. Crichton wrote and directed the movie in the 70s. And then they made a movie called Future World, which Crichton didn't have anything to do with. Uh-huh. And they've been trying to kind of remake Westworld various times over the years. So is this. Until they finally did it just recently. Is the show like, like the movie? Is well, it I think the same concept? It's the same basic concept of theme where park where you go, androids are there, and then the androids are going to turn on the people. But it wasn't necessarily like Old Westy, whatever. It was just. It that. Was it was, oh, okay. well, because Westworld was about, they in the movie of Westworld, they have like a Western world, they have a Roman world, gotcha. and a third one, I don't remember. Then they did Future World, you right. can see where that goes. But in Westworld, Yul Brenner is like an android cowboy oh, who wow. starts killing the guests. Holy smokes. And so, you know, the show basically takes from the idea of like, what if there was a theme park full of androids who seemed real, and then the androids started killing the people? I love it. I mean, I love the fact that that... I mean, because to me, I was like, wow, this this show is so pertinent to everything we've talked about. But to think that that's like an old timey concept. And now, you know, and even now, though, Mm -hmm. people are watching that show being like, I've never even thought about that. I I mean, even though like Blade Runner and this kind of shit has existed for a long time, it's still done in a way that you're like, wow, I could 100 fucking 10 percent see this happening. Well, I think part of that, too, is if you look at the way a lot of 
RPG games like Red Dead Redemption mm -hmm. or which actually as a side note the company that did the CG for Lawnmower Man eventually became Rockstar San Diego oh which is the people who made Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption wow. and games like that. That's absurd. So, but with these games that kind of work effectively the way Westworld does, it's easier for an audience to go like, oh, that's just like that game I played. Totally. That's just like Skyrim, but with Westworld and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So. Good, good fun facts, fun facts. Oh, you know what, I think it's worth saying that because in the 90s there was this big attempt to try VR, mm -hmm. but there were all these technical limitations, like the heaviness of the, of the set, the resolution of the images that are right in front of your eyeballs, mm -hmm. tracking your head and keeping that latency down, field of view and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was realizing that I have probably the only real personal VR headset from the 90s. Wow. It's right up there. <laughs> called the virtual boy oh my god i remember virtual boy from the nintendo system Ugh. yeah and it was this insane thing that you put on the desk and you couldn't move your head around in it so you like had to sit with terrible posture with your eyes like on Looking this thing. thing so that oh yeah and then it could only do wireframe red so everything was in red so your eyeballs like hurt after five minutes of looking at it and it was all in wireframes so it's just amazing to think about when you try out Oculus Rift or totally. something like that. Totally. Well, I mean, and you know, and like when you think about, okay, I'm even thinking back to the net, right? It, it kind mm -hmm. of, it, it sort of people existing in that net world mm -hmm. get a bad rap because the image of some fucking loser kid sitting in his basement, like mm -hmm. with a crooked neck looking into it that you're kind of like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's not the world I want to live in. Mm -hmm. But then you see the kind of things that you can do now. You see Oculus Rift, like old people putting these fucking things on and being mm -hmm. like, look where I am. My right. God, you're like when it's actually well executed, how the fuck could you criticize this? Yeah. We've talked about on the on the ex machina, the very first episode, we talked about like VR porn and mm -hmm. all of this kind of stuff. And yes, it, it it might seem uncomfortable at first because it seems like, mm -hmm. wow, like is this going to isolate us from each other further? But really, it's the technology is sophisticated enough. We are not in lawnmowerman times anymore. Right. There's actually something to be enjoyed here. Mm-hmm. I wanted to also say that Mark Zuckerberg's thoughts on VR, because Facebook now owns Oculus. Oh, wow. Okay. And he sees that as like a future platform that's as big as the smartphone. Mm. And he was saying that at first, online was all about text. Mm -hmm. Then it became all about images. And now it's all about video. And each step is like, things are just richer and richer and richer. And photos and videos are not the end. It's this indefinite continuum of getting closer and closer to being able to capture what a person's natural experience and thought is. Right. And so it's more and more realistic. And then he said, like, imagine Facebook Live at a riot, but in a fully immersive form. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the possibilities are seem so endless. And just yesterday, I saw this documentary called Beware the Slenderman. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. Okay, so the Slenderman is this like Creepy latest, it's like this boogeyman. Image, yeah. It's basically like modern day boogeyman mm -hmm. that exists on like Reddit, subreddits yeah, and all yeah. over the place, right? But eventually, like basically the documentary is about how these these two girls ended up like stabbing their other friend almost to death because they thought that they needed to appease the Slenderman. This, so then, like, the whole movie's kind of a commentary from different aspects about, like, you know, isolation meets the internet, like, people that are already kind of, like, socially isolated and, and like, the danger that the internet can cause, what, what, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Me being somebody who really likes to find balance because I believe this is, like, the biggest thing in my life is just balance is everything, yep. is, like, it's not the fucking internet's fault. Like, the internet is made of information from people. It mm -hmm. is people that are the problem here. Guns like, don't kill people. People kill pil people. People kill people, and yet, like, you you shouldn't be able to buy a fucking Uzi exactly. at a gun show. That being said, but it's just... But is that what we're talking about with the internet, maybe? I don't think so. I think there's got to be some fucking personal accountability on parents. You know what right, I'm saying? Like, right. I get that you are uncomfortable with how much time that your kid is spending on the iPad. I get there's a lot that you can't really shelter your kid from. So it's like you want to keep them safe, but you also don't want to not let them experience the world. I just think like people, if they are still encouraged to engage with the world in a real way, 
Mm-hmm. Being able to engage with the world in a VR way is not going to destroy society. No, it's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's if you don't do that step of being like, mm-hmm. we're still people. Right. This, you're still putting on a thing and then you're going to take it off and then you're going to go about your, your day. Mm-hmm. That I think that's sort of my line. I can't get mad at the technology. I can only get mad at shitty parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a reasonable place to be. Science. Should we do favorite lines? Favorite lines. The girlfriend, wife, whatever, of Pierce Brosnan goes, falling, floating, flying. So what's next? Fucking. And, and I, you yeah, and I when I heard said, that, I was like, duh. duh. <laughs> yeah. That Durr. Was, that was our big thing. But at that time, it was sort of like, oh, zinger. And now oh, we're my like, God. You now could we're like, fuck in this thing? Yeah. We're like, that's what the like, internet was created what for What else anyway. <laughs> what are we doing with any technology? Yeah. Fucking is super important. Anyway. <laughs> I wanted to talk about. Dean Norris's performance in this movie. Okay. Who played Hank on Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, he, I'm sorry. I'm, he, I totally peeked there, but I forgot about him. He literally has an evil British accent. Oh, it's not just a British accent. It's an evil one. It's not like, hello. It's like, I, maybe in a world where I hadn't seen him as Hank yeah. or a, any other character that he's ever played, it would have been okay. But holy shit. Well, I suppose we'll see about that. Yeah, it was very like, we will need it. Shortly. Yeah. I'm not going to move my mouth because I am so composed. It's a bad performance. It's so bad. I'm it's sure that he was told to do all that. But oh, yeah. Oh, it, totally. It's like, it's like when you look at an actor and you know what he's good at, mm-hmm. and then you see him in a role that's like doing the opposite of what he's good at. 100%. Like he's such a gregarious, adorable guy. He's not British. He's definitely not British. <laughs> and he's... He's not evil, He's too. not evil, either. Um, did you have any other lines that you liked? I did really like... Pierce Brosnan like really angrily being like virtual reality holds the key to the evolution of the human mind and that's my focus mm-hmm. and it's like how does it hold uh, that d- and it doesn't track to me right the drugs that he's giving to this guy yeah. that's making his brain better that's the key to the right. evolution of the human not mind not just the existence of virtual reality right that's sort of why I, th- I felt like content wise there was mm. a little bit of a like yeah is this about like performance-enhancing well, drugs, or well, is this about it, yeah. technology or virtual reality? Rather. It opens on the line: "By the turn of the millennium, a technology known as virtual reality will be in widespread use." You're right. Its creators foresee millions of positive uses, while others fear it as a new form of mind control. Oh, yeah, I know. I was like, this certainly can't be the first time anybody's heard about virtual reality, right? Lawn Mormon? 92 was not the first time. I don't I, know. It was pretty early because, really? well, I remember a couple of weeks ago, Bill Maher did the worst fucking VR joke where he was basically like, this Oculus Rift thing, uh, if this was going to take off, it would have taken off when we tried it in the 90s. Oh, I remember him saying that. And it was like, dude... You're dumb. It's also like, bless his heart. I love his show, but I'm like, you're an old man. Like he's, you, that in particular about, is like, do you not right. understand how like sometimes like the first tablet was made in '99 by right. Microsoft, but it wasn't until 2010 that the iPad came out and everybody was like, right, this. You know, sometimes people say that Bill Maher's a little smug. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They might be right. Right, but no, that's a prime example of being like. Shh, shh, shh. It's like the yeah. size of the headset that he wears in the movie is like. It's like three feet like, out from his eyeballs. By that logic, we would still be like Zach Morrising with our cell phones <laughs> yeah, exactly. and having like giant fucking like, oh my God. The first computer, Bill Maher. Do you remember how big that was? Right. Sit the fuck down. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I like I that you use Zach Morris as a verb. Oh yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been Zach Morrison around. I feel like Zach Morris with my giant fucking LG4 phone. I'm uh, like, this is bigger than the moon. Well, anyway, so this this was a great movie. It's so, so silly, but I'm really glad about what, some of the shit we were able to cover. Yeah, it's a fun time. Well, maybe we should do, because you were talking about virtuosity at one point. Oh yeah, virtuosity. Talk about overuse of really shitty graphics. Oh my God. But this was, that was made. It was written the same director. By, same director. That's right. That's oh, it right. makes so, so much sense. Yeah. We could totally watch Virtuosity. Well, well, maybe, maybe next week you guys will hear Virtuosity. Maybe we'll edit out us ever saying that. I have the most sordid and delightful history with Virtuosity. So. Sordid? Oh yeah. Well, then we're going to have to do that. A huge part of my development as a heterosexual female. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.